And now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hop Along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all-around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, this is the show for you. We'll cover most all of the fishing tournaments and events with special reports while providing you with the information you need as to how and where to experience the best fishing opportunities in Southern California, Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Real Radio, the best stop on your radio dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Hey, good evening everyone and welcome to another Sunday edition of Rod Real Radio. We want to thank you all for taking a little bit of your holiday to be with us. I think we're going to make it worth your while. We always appreciate you listening. Let me just give you a little bit of a rundown of the show we have tonight. Starting off out of the gate will be Captain Bill Wilkerson, owner-operator of the Malahini Sports Fishing out of H&M Landing. We're going to find out with these changing conditions just what's happening on the three-quarter day scene. So Captain Bill Wilkerson will be with us right after the introduction here. And then at 6.03, we're going to have on a fellow who's an attorney who specializes in marine fishery questions. He has his own company called West Coast Fishery Consultants. We're going to talk about some of the issues like bluefin tuna. What's the real story on the bluefin tuna when it comes to their populations? We're going to talk about closures of fishing seamounts along our California coast. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the funding that's going into environmental agencies and what is happening now with a lawsuit that's that is being brought against just one of these agencies. It's going to have far-reaching consequences for sure. But, hey, before we get into all of that, let me introduce to you the co-host of Rod and Real Radio. She is the national sales manager for Iserline, one great lady fisherman in her own right, just back from a five-day trip on the Indy, Miss Wendy Toshahara. Wendy, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. Just got done cutting fish earlier this morning and uh, now taking a break. And after this, I'm going to get back to vacuum sealing my fish. Wow. Hey, we'll talk about that a little bit later on, Wendy. I'm going to want to hear all about that. For you that usually are expecting to hear Stan Vandenberg at this time, Stan is away. He's back on a minor family emergency. So, um, uh, he will uh, not be with us tonight, but you know what? We are thinking of Stan. He'll be back with us next week because he was already giving me suggestions for next week's guest. But talking about guests, let's get right on to our guest right now. He's the owner-operator of Mollyhenny Sports Fishing out of H&M Landing, Captain Bill Wilkerson. Captain Bill, welcome to the show. Oh, looks like he's not ready yet, John. Oh, okay. All right. Well, well, needless to say, as we've been talking, the 
complexion of the fishing here in San Diego has been changing a little bit. <clears throat> we have this outstanding run of bluefin, even though they were running, we were trying to catch them. It was harder and harder to catch. There's still some bluefin in the numbers, but now you're beginning to see the, the uh, long-range boats and the three-quarter-day boats and the day-and-a-half boats. They're targeting other species of fish. And, Wendy, I think just briefly you found that out on the, uh, <laughs> the trip that you went on. You know, that's absolutely right. I went to the store and I bought a whole bunch of poppers and didn't break one of them out. We ended up going all the way out um, to Cedros and, and even St. Martin and uh, San Martin. And San Martin, the water was cold and green. Wow. You know, so we, we had to go and target the yellowtail and, and other species. Wow. So, you know, especially at uh, Cedrus Island, uh, Cedrus Island is known for the big yellowtail. Tuna will hang around over there. What were the conditions there at Cedrus that you found, Wendy? Um, well, we stopped off at Benito's first, and, uh, you know, the usual, we got, you know, surrounded by dogs. Um, but, you know, fishing, fishing would have been really good there. You know, we did catch a few there. And then uh, we went off to Natividad and uh, then off to Cedros. And, you know, Cedros Island, what an amazing island. I love that place. Oh, I can't blame and you. I, got but... a good, I have a good tip for you. I am I'm waiting for it. Don't stay up late and fish and sleep in in the morning. Because <laughs> I, I went to bed early after dinner and I woke up, at, you know, at Cedros in the morning at 2 a.m., got my coffee, you know, woke up a little, and by, at 3.50, I decided to drop a line in. I got bit, you know, on, we had squid, so I got bit on squid a couple of times, nibbles, and thought, ah, looked in the water, saw a whole bunch of sardines. As soon as I dropped in a sardine, boom, I got a broomtail grouper. Oh, my, my next spot brought that in. The next one, I got a 37-pound yellowtail. Brought that in, said, oh, I better go wake up Lori. Matt says, no, get out there and fish. <laughs> so I dropped another one in, and I got a 37-pound white sea bass. And I got another bait, brought that in, got another bait, and I got a 60-pound black sea bass. All right. Hey, uh, in the meantime, we're trying to make contact with Captain Bill Wilkerson, having a little bit of trouble right now. So we're going to talk a little bit about Wendy's trip uh, that she just came back, a five-day on on the indie and and Wendy, uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, makeup of the group that you had. You know, it was amazing. We had seven women on the boat. I've never been on a boat that wasn't you know geared for women and had that many women on board. So it was really it was really neat to see the husbands and boyfriends brought, brought their um, their wives and girlfriends, and then Greg, um, who's the regular on this trip, brought his two daughters. Um, so it was it was pretty cool, and uh, we had beginners, and we had um, people advanced, you know, long rangers. Okay. Um, it was a it was a huge mix. Wendy, uh, let's talk about your trip later on. We're going to talk to an individual now that's used to having a lot of lady fishermen come on his trip. He's the owner operator of Mulhaney Sports Fishing out of H and M Landing, Captain Bill Wilkerson. Captain Bill, thank you for coming aboard. Hey, good afternoon, guys. How are you guys doing today? Hey, we are doing A-OK, but I guess the question is, what's happening out there uh, on the offshore scene, and especially within three-quarter-day range right now? 
Well, we're actually, we're not fishing offshore. It hasn't been much action for us out there, but the aisles have been, have been very, very productive uh, with yellowtails and rockfishes and calico bass and all kinds of other stuff, you know, like a smorgasbord, if you will. And, and when it comes to the uh, yellowtail fishing that you're doing out there, what what's the grade of the yellowtail that that's coming in right now, Bill? Uh, they're anywhere, anywhere from 12 to 35 pounds. Oh my gosh. Uh, we had great fishing yesterday and the day before that. You know, my Monday, let's start with Monday. Monday we got off the dock. I think we had 16 yellowtail and 200 and some odd rock, rock cods and uh, some calico basses on Tuesday. We had, I think, seven or eight yellowtail, the bigger grade stuff. Uh, Wednesday uh, we had, I think, 39 of the bigger grade stuff. And then uh, Thursday we wound up with uh, 72 yellowtail and. Uh, around 135 rockfish and some calico bass and some very big, large barracudas. Uh, yesterday, we got off the dock. Uh, we had uh, 53 yellowtail. And then uh, today, uh, we had another score of 53 yellowtail, three barracuda, and I think he said six or seven calico bass. Wow. That's so, really good fishing, man. That is good fishing, Uh uh, what is uh, looking like it's happening right now with the uh, uh, the tuna out there? Are we in a transition time? Is is uh, there just a break in the action, or what do you think? You know, honestly, I can't even tell you because we haven't been focusing on offshore at all. We've been we've been focusing on fishing the islands, and it's it's like I said, it's been very 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 productive for us. Well, you know, you go where the fish are. Needless to say. So if you get people that come aboard and... Uh, hey, John, John. Yes, yes. I can barely hear you. All right. Well, I'm going to try and jack it up a little bit if I can. Sorry about that, Captain Bill. But if we, um, uh, uh, if you're uh, you know, talking to your passengers, asking them to come aboard, uh, how are you asking them to come geared up right now with regards to you know, rods and reels? Bill, you must not be there? able to hear you. Yeah, Bill, are you still there? Well, Wendy, it looks like we're having a little bit of a problem today. Uh, I you know, don't know what I can tell you on that. Uh, trouble with live radio, I think. All right, ho- hopefully we'll <laughs> As be Jen able to would get... say, he's locked in the box. <laughs> well, I want to hear what that good fishing's all about, too, because right now... On the three-quarter day, they're going out, and they're, they're really starting to get into some good yellowtail, and 35-pound yellowtail is nothing to sneeze about. That's pretty good. You know, yeah, yeah go on, Wendy. I was just going to say, you know, um, the yellowtail fishing is amazing here in California, and, and uh, if, if you can get out on one of these three-quarter day boats like the Malahini, you know, jump on. You know, and and if you can jump on during the week, and maybe you can go with less people. Well, it looks like the boats uh, really do have, uh, you know, right now, uh, are not going out at full capacity. So especially on the three quarter day trips, it's it's a bargain to go on out with them right now, and catch the fish they're catching. And I think what's going to happen that as soon as there's some signs that you know the yellowfin and the bluefin are back in range, they're going to be go out and whack them again. Oh, I'm sure they will. You know, it, you know, it's starting to be a really good year. I don't even know, you know, since I've been gone for five days, what's the water temperature over here? Do you have any idea? 
you know what I've uh, what I've been hearing it's uh, 64 65 66 but more so what's happening is more inshore a lot of green water but there's a, still a lot of bait in the water and when you're going more offshore all of a sudden the water becomes you know real clean which isn't that bad of a deal but there's just no food out there for the fish so it was driving everything inshore here now when you went out what did you guys find um well we found on our way home from san martin we found a lot of empty kelp patties um but when we were at the islands um we we had a lot of bait like i said at cedros when i was there i looked down in the water and there was there there were a ton a ton of bait fish fin fish so you know that's why the fish are there you know they're they're where the food is well, you know, it just so happens that you said you got a broomtail grouper when you were at uh, uh, Cedrus Island, and uh, uh, just a, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a kayaker there got a uh, an IGFA or going to be pending IGFA broomtail. So, you know, one thing about Cedrus Island, you just never know what you're going to catch there because there's a whole bunch of everything. There is. I mean, there's a lot of IGFA records to be had over at Cedros, whether it's the catch and release or whether it's an IGFA all tackle record or line class record. There's plenty. Um, there's the golden gold spotted sand bass over there. You know that 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 would be really easy to attain. Uh, that you know, there's the calico bass, and and you know those calicos are huge. The guys that stayed up late, they were catching nine, eight, nine pound calicos. Okay. Hey, Jorge, just check in. Are we able to reconnect with Captain Bell? No. Okay. Well, it looks like we're just having a problem connecting with Captain Bill tonight, so we're sorry about that. But I think we got a pretty good idea of what was happening with uh, Captain Bill. And, Wendy, you went on a trip that uh, just came back from a trip that was like that. Uh, I know you were expecting maybe to get into uh, uh, some of the, uh, the big tuna but then also you had to be ready for rock fishing and yelltail fishing. And I'll ask you the question that uh, I was I asked uh, Captain uh, Bill. Uh, uh, what uh, setups were you using uh, to get those fish? Uh, well, um, during the day I was using 40-pound um, and 50-pound uh, fishing for those yellowtail. We had some really nice yellowtail come aboard, and I didn't want to horse around, and they weren't line shy, so... If they're not line shy, go as heavy as you can. Hurry up, get back out there in the water. So, um, I was using my Phoenix. Uh, I have a Phoenix rod that I like to use, and I have uh, my Avid reels that I like to use, and my Eyeline Triple X. All right. Now, when you went uh, bottom fishing, did you uh, go to a dropper loop, or what did you use there? Yeah, um, definitely in the early morning at Cedros. Um, you know, before gray, gray light, I like to um, dropper loop. And that's how all my fish, those big fish, came on a dropper loop. Wow. Well, it sounds like you had a good trip, Wendy. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, more about your trip later on in the show, but we got to take our first break right now. You're listening to Rod and Reel Radio on AM540 or at rodandreelradio.com. Stay tuned. There's still a lot more to come after these messages.
You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect. Finally, a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specialty heat treater to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California. Boat California. Save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. 2015 and 16, Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your baitcasters, the PTA design has a new PTXA frame, lighter, stronger, bone-crushing drag, quantum fishing. We are performance-tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619-466-8355. This segment of Ron Real Radio is brought to you by the makers of the original balloon fishing clip system, Balloon Fisher King. Now you can fish the precise bait depth desired with these easy-to-use clips and 100% biodegradable natural latex balloons. All you do is clip, inflate, bait, and fish. Look for Balloon Fisher King clips and balloons at your local tackle dealers or go to balloonfisherking.com for further information. It's a big deal, you know. I've always wanted to be on Rod and Reel Radio. I, <laughs> I won the Bassmaster Classic. I did a, a McDonald's commercial, but now I know I've made it. I fulfilled my dream. <laughs> that is just absolutely awesome. 
And welcome back to Ron Real Radio, everyone. Uh, Wendy Tushiara is with me tonight. I'm your host, Hopalong John Cassidy. Hey, we uh, just had that last segment with uh, Captain Bill Wilkerson, owner-operator of the Malahini. If you want to check out the Malahini, go out for some great three-quarter day fishing right now. The Elltail fishing is great. Rock fishing is also good, too. Give them a call at H&M Landing, 619-222-1144. You can get on the uh, site. You can see what all the boats are doing. And then while you do that, just go over to the legend. Go down to September the 16th. That's the Rod Reel Radio-sponsored trip on the legend. We're going to be out for two and a half days. I expect that the fishing is going to be excellent. We're going to have a lot of fun on there. Already have a bunch of spots sold on that. So H&M Landing, 619-222-1144. And now it's time for the voice of PFL Radio with what the heck is Phil thinking? The radio host himself, Phil Friedman. Phil, how you doing tonight, sir? John, doing great, Wendy, and uh, all the audience out there listening. It's always great to be with you, my friend. Well, thank you very much. Uh, what kind of shenanigans have you been getting into this past week? I know you spent the past couple of weeks down south of the border, uh, you know, so you come back here, and what are you finding that's happening? Well, first of all, uh, I came back here, but I went back south of the border. I'm driving back from Rio Right now, my wife's going to think I've got a girlfriend down there. I know she is. But, you know, John, you met Joaquin Espinosa. He's a you big bet. part of He got married down there in a little church called Nuestra Señora del Rosario de Fatima to a beautiful girl that he's been with for many, many years, Cecilia. And Joaquin and Cecilia got married yesterday, so I went down for the mass and the wedding, and it was beautiful and really, really touching. And, and I wish both Joaquin and Cecilia all the very, very best. And it was a, it was really a touching moment. Now, so here I am driving right now. So I'm driving back from Mexico, and uh, I can tell you I have got uh, some pretty good news. You know, last week, John, we talked about this time of the year and there being a lull in fishing, and then all of a sudden the light switch went on. It didn't go all the way on, but we're seeing a lot of good signals right now. That big bluefin tuna, there's four boats that I have counted. There may be more out there in double digits on that 50 to 125-pound bluefin tuna here today. That is an extremely good sign. And here's a name. You may not know Ryan Brizendine, but I know you recognize that last name. That is Buzz's son. And he was out with Greg Trompas, who's an exceptional private boater. In fact, Greg has two bluefin this week that went over 200 pounds. So they were out and uh, Ryan was throwing a popper and he said he hung this fish. And when he did, it looked like somebody dropped a car in the water. It was that big of an explosion. He fought this fish for 55 minutes. It came all the way out of the water at one point, and they gave him really a beautiful look. And then at another point, it was greyhounding away, much as you would see a blue marlin doing down in the East Cape. Well, he ended up getting the fish, and it was a beautiful 205-pound bluefin tuna. Incredible to think that these fish are off our very coastline right now. And that is looking so good. Yellowfin tuna, we've got some 70-degree water. We've got some 74-degree water in some spots. It's still hit and miss. The better yellowfin tuna seems to be between Tolos Santos and Punta Colonet. So down there at about 60 miles down to a buck 20. But there's fish in other areas. And while it hasn't turned on full speed or anything, some boats are getting a piece of it, most of them on pods of dolphin and 
that looks like that's something that's going to kick into gear here real soon. The yellowtail bite on Kelsey has been really good, but it's slowed up here recently. Could be a little bit of weather, although it's been pretty lovely weather for the most part. Not a whole lot of wind. Around the inner bank is an area where you can catch those fish. That's just off Ensenada, and it goes down to just below the 31 line. Slow one day, good the next. Fish from 5 to 30 pounds, looking pretty darn good. Back to the bluefin, John. I should mention to you, got a lot of flatfall fish right now. They're catching a lot of flatfall fish. And one thing that I have heard from many anglers and skippers, and talking to Buzz Brizendine just a few moments ago, those flatfall jigs are working great. When you get them down deep, and you're going to listen to the captain. He's going to tell you where the thermal client is, and that's where you want to be with that lure. If it's 180 feet, great. If it's 200. But when you get down there, stay there. You want to stay deep. You want that thing to be fluttering around down in that thermal client. That's where those fish are feeding. So that's exactly the way to make it happen. One sport boat reported a marlin on the jigs this week out of San Diego. That's another really, really good sign. And once again, we have been seeing those bluefin down around the inner bank, but a lot of stuff. They're on the backside of the 302 to the corner out to the 43. You got your eyes open out there. You could run into some serious action. Just keep your eyes open. Those fish are up today. They're putting on an incredible show. And as I said, there's more fish perhaps caught today than we've seen in a while. Above and inside um, the 181 and 182, one guy just called me 74-degree water. Oh and I guess gosh. that's why we... I guess that's why we have a few flatheads around, too, John. There's some Dorado around, four or five caught this week. Seen fish, no huge volumes. No one's rolled up on a patty and seen a big color spot quite yet. But I got a feeling that could uh, really be in our future also. And third-hand report, I'm not buying this one, but I'll tell you, I heard it through a few channels. Not sure whether it's true or not, but a private boater said he saw a Wahoo at North Island. I don't think I'm going to bite on that one quite yet. San <laughs> Clemente Island, uh, taking a look at, at Clemente. There had been really exceptional yellowtail fishing probably about four days ago. It was good, 40, 50, 60 yellows for L.A. Orange County base boats fishing out there. John, nice grade of fish. Last three days have been pretty slow, and today probably the slowest day of all. And everybody's saying lack of current out there, about six to ten fish, 20 fish here today. Still not that bad, but not as good as it has been. And one thing that's been great everywhere the rock fishing just seems to be getting better and better every single year. Good calico fishing out there. Catalina Island, my buddy Joe Gallagher out there today. Wide open calico bass. Small yellows also at Catalina. Bonita, a lot of bonita on the front side of the island. And good calico fishing, as I mentioned, and tons of rock fishing. Really good to see, John, some local fishing taking up here on the horseshoe. Kelp Joe came back from Catalina and hit the horseshoe and caught barracuda and bass. Twilight boats out of Long Beach and San Pedro are doing really well on the calico and sand bass, like a throwback to previous years, and quite a bit of barracuda. Up there in Redondo, small yellows, but pretty numerous for the half-day boat Redondo special, where I got my start where I, when I was 12 years old on the special. And uh, so they've had uh, small yellows, but pretty good action on that. And Channel Islands to continue up the coast uh, geographically, up in that neck of the woods. Uh, it has slowed up. When we say it slowed up, that just means the game fish have taken up powder for just a little bit. There's always excellent rock fishing. And it's worth mentioning that recently, real recently, the Mirage had excellent white sea bass fishing, excellent yellowtail fishing. There was some good fishing at Anacap Island, on yellows and sea bass also with some calico bass. Great weather up there in that neck of the woods. So that is continuing. Hey, I want to throw a shout-out to the L.A. Rod and Reel Club and Will Ebersman. 
my hermano, my brother, who's always doing things for kids. He's down at Fairpoint Landing right now, and they're tying up rods and reels. They're going to take 400 kids fishing tomorrow out of Pierpoint Landing in Long Beach, California. They've been doing that, I believe, for over 50 years, John. It's a real commitment. Those guys are a really altruistic group of guys, and they're always giving back to the community. So good stuff. L.A. Rod and Reel Club doing their thing. Will Eversman and a lot of other great volunteers are there now, and uh, then they're going to be at it again tomorrow. So looking really, really good. Excellent uh, sign down there in San Diego. you got to love that. I mean, Reports of Oahu, even if it's BS, it sounds good. And we've got Marlin chasing the jigs and those bluefin are biting today. And uh, things definitely look like they're on the cusp of kind of breaking loose, John. Well, you know, uh, Phil, one of the things I've noticed, there's more Dorado on the report. And I don't know, you probably had, since you were at Rosarita Beach, you didn't have a uh, chance to see any of the YouTube videos. But there was a aerial video of two really nice Dorado off the Orange uh, County coastline. So it looks like they're coming on up, plus the fact there's a lot more uh, uh, yellowfin in the, in the mix when it's coming out on the fish counts, yet they're still going out there and getting some uh, bluefin tuna. And then when they can't get that, there's always the yellowtail. So right now there's a pretty nice mix of fish out there. But, uh, Phil, what have you heard about uh, what's happening with the squid up uh, uh, in the L.A. and the uh, uh, Channel Islands area? John, I have not heard that much about it, and I'm a little bit out of the loop on that one, but I haven't heard that much, and it could be these water temperatures are starting to get too warm. Incidentally, I did see that video of those Dorado. I was in the uh, lobby of the Rosarita Beach Hotel. I had like a half hour to get some Wi-Fi before I walked over to the mass and wedding. It was two blocks away from the, the hotel. So Pete Thomas, who kind of broke that story and wrote for the L.A. Times for 25 years, sent me that, and that was really cool to see those fish up this high. But squid? I'm not uh, totally in the loop on that one, so I'm not going to take a guess for you. I'm just going to plead ignorance. I'm really, really good at pleading ignorance. And by the way, John, (laughs) it should be stated right now that that uh, prediction I made about albacore this year was a complete bust. So anytime Phil Friedman makes a prediction, whether it's on a horse or albacore coming in or something, just take your money and bet the other way, and you're, you're sure to be successful. Well, we didn't say how many albacore were coming in. We just said yeah. albacore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, Wendy, uh, you were telling us on the uh, trip that you made on the Indy, you had uh, some squid. Was that squid that you uh, brought with you, or did you make uh, bait with those squid? No, they uh, from the previous trip that they had to SDI, uh, they ended up getting squid there, and they had leftover squid, so we got to use that. You know, uh Phil, another thing that I'm noticing, there's more barracuda in the fish counts. There's uh, more bonita in the fish counts. And the boats that are going on out there, there is still some excellent rock fishing out there. And and that should be something that, uh, you know, you don't want to poo-poo because this trip that Wendy just went on, on, they loaded up on rock fish. And I bet you that's one of the things that she's been sealing for the past, you know, five hours or ever since she got home. Oh, no doubt. I mean, those those species, barracuda, sand bass, and rockfish, I'm convinced that uh, those fish make anglers so much better at their game. A lot of guys, I think, make the mistake of trying to jump right to the long-range boat or jump right to the offshore boat. And really, I think that the best training grounds is the half-day boat because, you know, some of those tuna trips, John, you'll go on and you'll cast a bait twice or three times or never if you don't get a stop. But, man, the repetition 
of choosing a hot bait, of knowing how to choose a bait, of casting over and over again, the kind of thing you get on a half-day boat just really hones your skills as an angler. And I, I like that progression of starting down there, you know, maybe on the piers or surf fishing and then moving up to the half-day, three-quarter day, island boats, offshore, and long range. I think it makes you the complete angler by doing it. And you're right. Uh, that's fun stuff. I mean, you know, they call uh, Barracuda the poor man's wahoo. I I don't know if there's anything more fun than throwing an iron and winding it, having one of those big gar bite that thing. It's just fun fishing. I love throwing gar on uh, and uh, bouncing them over the rail. That's a lot of fun. Now, Woody, tell us about the variety of fish that you're, you know, a vacuum sealing right now. <laughs> um, I have uh, white sea bass and yellowtail that I'm. Oh, and the. Uh, um, that I'm uh, sealing up. I didn't keep any of the uh, calico bass, so just those two is what I kept. Now, how about that broomtail that you caught? Uh, is that something that uh, you released or what? No, um, I, I kept it. I caught it with a leopard grouper, and then my, you know, Merritt McRae, my other half, uh, the uh, research scientist, biologist, said, no, that's a, that's a broomtail. So he's going to be for dinner tonight. <laughs> Boy, that sounds He's like it's pretty over. good. He's come over for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with that and probably your avocado tree uh, producing avocados right now, uh, you've got the best thing going. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, Phil, uh, right now uh, the fishing going out of uh, L.A., Long Beach is, you know, you say it's, it's dying down a little bit. That water is warming up. I guess I was... Uh, misinformed with the uh, the water temperatures that uh, we were seeing down here at the Coronados. You're saying that uh, they're seeing some water up there, 71 to 74 degrees. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, let me look at my notes here for you, but I can tell you exactly where that 74-degree water was. That guy called me if I can uh, find my notes here. I think it, it was inside and above the 181, 182, as I remember, and it was very, very warm. And then down uh, in the area, you know, from Todos Santos down to Colinette, that zone, they've been uh, seeing consistent 70-degree water in the afternoons when it gets some solar warming on it. So, yeah, it's warming up, and that's exactly what the doctor ordered, John. That's exactly what we want to have if we want that yellowfin center to bite. They're not, quite, they're not as finicky as bluefin. Once that light switch goes on on that YFT, it really likes to bite everything you throw at it. And that was uh, above and inside the 181 and 182. There's some 74-degree water. That's uh, perfect for Dorado, yellowfin tuna, and some other species, too. Well, Phil, I think one of the things that's, that is happening on the sports fishing boats right now is, yes, they can go after the, the bluefin, and, yes, they will occasionally get bit. But when they you know hit those big bluefin tuna, they're talking about anywhere from 45 minutes to a couple hours fight, and that's nice for the, the guys that are hooked up. But for the guys that aren't hooked up, they want to be doing something else. So I think what's happening, since they're not catching that many bluefin tuna, now they're going out and looking for the yellowfin and the yellowtail and those species where everyone can get involved and stay involved with catching fish at one time. Definitely. I mean, I, I worked the boats from 12 years of age up to about 25 or so. So, I mean, I remember, now we're talking about fish that are 100 to 200 pounds. Now, I can remember, like, catching albacore that were 40 pounds, and we'd be looking at each other up in the wheelhouse of the search and going, man, 
these are great fish, but they're a little too big. You know, I mean, these guys can't handle them. And, you know, I wish they were 18 to 25 pounders. Guys can catch them. They have fun. They get a cool fish at the end of it. So, I mean, that, that whole thing's been blown way out of proportion now. I mean, we're not talking about 40 pound fish. We're talking about 150 to 200 pound fish. Now, the technology, the gear and everything is so much more advanced than in prehistoric years when I was a deckhand. But still, you, you can get a guy on a fish for a long, long time, John, and you're right. Everybody else is watching, and they're like, come on, pull on the thing, pull harder. You're not pulling on it right. And, and uh, so it is nice to get everybody involved catching some yellowfin tuna or yellowfin kelps or something like that, and it kind of, uh, you know, gets everyone with a bite. Everyone has a chance, and I think for the most part everyone's happy. Unless you sign up for, hey, I'm going for big bluefin tuna. You know, who knows if they're ever going to be back again in my lifetime. I want to do this, and I'm perfectly willing to watch another guy pull on it. If I get my shot, great. If not, I'll do it again next time. Yeah, it's just the old saying, uh, either go big or go home. You know, and it isn't like the private boaters like we had uh, Zach Zorin on uh, uh, the radio show last weekend. He and his uh, two other friends, uh, they hooked up at the 43 with a 240-pound bluefin, it took them eight hours to bring in that fish, and they were handing that fish off to each other. As a matter of fact, I'm sure during the course of that eight-hour uh, a fight, it was one of the guys was ready to hand the fish off to another guy, and the other guy says, "My turn already." <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> really? Come on, you go. Go ahead. You yeah. can fight him for a little bit longer. Yeah. Hold on, I can't get my hands unwrapped from around this rod, but I'll try to get yeah. it over to you. <laughs> yeah. Do you, have, if, do you have any oxygen on board? <laughs> hey, Phil, if you want to, uh, if we want to stay in tune with what's happening, because I know I follow you on Facebook, there's all kinds of neat things that you're talking about. I, I think the uh, one of the neatest things I saw was a share that you had on an endangered species of uh, porpoise that's uh, off of uh, San Felipe right now, something we should all know about. But you have all kinds of neat things that you're always informing us about. How's the best way to stay in contact with you? And that is the vaquita down there. There's only yeah. 60 of them left in the world. So definitely you should Google that, everybody, and uh, learn a little bit about the vaquita and figure out what you can do. PFO, John on Facebook, or in Spanish, Aventuras a la de Libre. Or if you want to go to the website, you can go to pforadio.com or aventurasalarelibre.com, todo en español. Well, Phil, we appreciate that. Now, are you going to be staying on the side of the border for a little while so we can uh, keep in contact with you and uh, be updated on what's happening on our local fishing? Or are you uh, scheduled to go back down south again? No, I think uh, divorce court would, would, is going to be imminent if I make any more trips south. So I'm going to take a little time off of that, John. All right. Phil Friedman with What the Heck Phil is Thinking. Phil, thanks a lot for being with us. We look forward again to talking to you next Sunday night live here on Rod and Real Radio. All right, John. Wendy, save me some fish, and have a great finish to your Sunday, everybody. All right. Hey, Wendy and I, we're going to take a break right now, but coming up next, Captain and James Elson with the California Inshore Report. Stay tuned. There's still a lot more Raw and Real Radio to come.
Angler's Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics. McCoy Line, Spro Products, Gamakatsu Hooks, G. Loomis Fishing Rods, Shimano Products, Ovet Reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Angler's Arsenal Tackle Store is conveniently located in La Mesa, just off Interstate 8. Give us a call at 1-800-428-8730. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their product. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California, boat California, save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. This portion of Rod and Reel Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can quickly and easily release fish suffering from barotrauma back to the depths they were caught. Look or ask for the Rockley's at your local fishing tackle dealer. And welcome, everyone, back to Rod Real Radio. Wendy Tushihara is with me tonight. Stan Vandenberg, he's on leave in Texas. We hope to be back with him next week. And now it's time for the Southern California Inshore Report with Captain James Nelson. Captain James, a great Sunday evening to you, sir. Well, it's a great Sunday evening indeed, Sean. How are you guys doing? Hey, we are doing great, but we're talking about fishing. Uh, tell me, uh, Captain James, this this time of the year, when the water starts warming up, especially into our back bays, uh, is do the fish leave? Do they come in? Or what's happening in this transition period? Well, I think they're going to start turning on the AC here pretty soon. But, you know, I'm not living in their world. I'm just assuming. Well, did that one fall flat or what? Uh, well, I, I did. John just Hello? drop off. I can hear you, James. Hello, James. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Wendy. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but I think we must have lost John. So why don't you give us a report on what's going on? And I'm sure he'll join us in a minute. Well, okay. Well, yeah. Well, let's get the secret report. Nobody tell John this stuff, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. It's just between us. <laughs> I won't listen. Oh, no, John's back. Oh, no, wait, he's too slow. He could hear us now. <laughs> you, you know, uh, basically, yeah, I, I think it's just uh, the. it's not like the fish are just going to pack and leave when it comes to the bay-type fish, but um, I know they will be searching for cooler water and, and or doing what they do best in warm water. And in a lot of cases, when it comes to saltwater fish, that's when they really get the spawn going. 
So we're seeing that out of the bay bass for sure, and uh, the sharks as well. How about the how about the bait, uh, uh, James? Does the bait uh, uh, leave or does it spawn too this time because there's more zooplankton and more nutrients in the water, and uh, everyone is uh, you know in a happy environment there? Well, there there are a lot of uh, bait fish right now that are taking care of their business as well. We've got between the mullet, the smelt, the grunion, and the uh, anchovies. I mean, it's, it's a pretty busy bay right now, and that's evident just by seeing what the birds are doing. And, and um, with that is mackerel. And, of course, you know, in a lot of terms, we all consider them bait as well, but they're kind of a special thing because they're both predator and bait. So you get uh, a lot of birds diving. That means there's also mackerel in there. Uh, doing the predator thing on that bait, and they're still doing their their running. So, I mean, it, it's pretty fun. It's a it's a really neat fishery right now, San Diego Bay. Uh, in that, the fact that you get down in the back bay at 77, 78 degrees, but you get back towards the mouth, and it's still in the 64, 65 range. Yeah. So you've got a huge difference in temperature. You know, Bill, you were talking about uh, Bill. I'm sorry, Captain James. You were talking about the bait there. Uh, is the bait hanging out in the flats uh, where you have that uh, 10, 12, 14 uh, foot water? Are they being bunched up uh, against the breaks in the bay, or is it just a matter that you can find them anywhere at any given time? Yeah, it's more of the latter, John. I mean, you can find them anywhere. It really depends on what part of the bay it is and what type of bait you're talking about. Uh, your mullet are going to still gravitate more towards the estuaries in the brackish-type water, uh, whereas your anchovies are going to be more in the open channel areas. But then you've got all the smelt running kind of in between. So uh, it really, again, it depends on what kind of bait that it is. But um, nonetheless, it's, it's attracting a lot of the predators. I mean, we're even getting some halibut, corvina on some of that stuff. But a lot of it is the bay bass and mackerel, and it's just been fun. Boy, I, I just have to ask you about a particular species, uh, and you happen to mention the, the halibut. Are we in a time of the year for halibut, or is the water getting too warm for halibut? Do they leave the bay this time? What, what happens with a halibut this time of year? You know, it, it's weird because, it, it <laughs> again, I have to stick to my guns on, if you want to catch a halibut, don't go halibut fishing. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I know there are guys that, that do make a conscious effort on the halibut, and they are good at targeting them. But, you know, when it's, it comes to me, whether it's me when I was a 11-year-old boy riding my bicycle down to the bay or it's me as a professional fishing guide of the last nine and a half years, it doesn't matter. I, nothing's changed for as far as I've seen with the halibut, whereas uh, any given day, 365 days of the year, you could catch them as long as you don't try too hard. <laughs> That's just what I've seen. Well, you know, I I noticed this past week uh, you've been getting some great catches on uh, uh, bat rays and uh, other species like that. And then my good friend, uh, Dr. Jim, you had a chance to take him and the grandsons out. And Dr. Jim usually likes to target some different things. What did you guys go out for uh, when you took Dr. Jim out? Well, he likes the, he likes the white needed fish, and he does uh, tend to bag a few, whether they be the bass or the rockfish or whatever, so he really likes that. Uh, we did get into some bonita, which, you know, wasn't his favorite, which I didn't mind because we had uh, fresh bonita tacos at the Nelson family that night. 
right. so, <laughs> I think they're yummy. But anyway, um, so that's that's what we went for. We went more towards bass and rockfish areas, even though I can tell you along the kelp beds right now, loaded with not only the bonita but the barracuda, and I'm talking big ones right now. But uh, with Dr. Jim, that's what he wanted to target, so that's what we did. And, uh, you know, we're going out again Wednesday. Uh, we're going to have three generations of oh, him. Wow. Uh, it's going to be him, his son, and his grandson. So I think we're going to mix it up and do something different this time, so who knows what we'll come up with. But, again, going back to the spawning season of the big sand bass and calicos, uh, we saw a lot of that activity, released a lot of them, especially the bigger ones. So that was nice, and uh, and then found a lot of shallow water rockfish in the neighborhood. Uh, everything from the smallest starry rockfish to Johnny basses and some big Johnnies, and I think they had a couple vermilion in the bunch too. So there was just a, a good mixture of, of shallow water. And when I'm talking shallow water, you know what I mean, John. We're we're 100 foot or less, which for rockfish is pretty shallow. We're considering most guys go 200 or more. Well, you know, uh, Captain Jim, I always marvel at the rockfish that you're able to bring in in these shallow waters because what you're able to come up with for uh, a lot of your clients is as good as anything we see coming uh, out of deeper water. Uh, Congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Yeah, and it's more fun because we're catching them pretty much on bass rods, so you get to really feel the the fight of the fish. and. You know, it's it's nice. It's fun. You're not fighting a six ounce weight or you know two pound weight for that matter for some of these guys that go real deep. So it's really nice that we're able to really just feel it. You're not using a broomstick and not using an electric reel, but you know you're actually sport fishing. All right for uh, uh, for that shallow rock fishing, are you using plastics? Are you using cut bait? Are you using live bait? Uh, what are you using to be successful down there? You know, we're using a little bit of everything. I mean, a lot of the plastics, uh, when we're catching them on plastics, a lot of times I have to admit it is more of a bycatch while trying to catch bass or halibut. But um, when it comes to the rockfish, if we know for sure that we're dropping down for rockfish, uh, we do use cut bait, some type of meat, squid, shrimp, mackerel, you know, sardines or anchovies, even if they're live or cut. doesn't really matter. But uh, I could tell you the latest thing that's been the greatest bait, and probably don't even have to say it. I know guys are already thinking, you didn't say red crab. Well, yeah. <laughs> Put a red crab on a dropper loop with a, with a pretty small hook for saltwater when you think about it, but we're putting a, just like a number two mosquito hook out there or a drop shot hook and put the little red crab on that. And boy, John, they just, those things get slurped up so quickly as soon as you get them down there, it seems. So what do you normally do? Or do you still have red crabs uh, in the marinas when you're going on out or or are they on the surface? Because I understand it. I I hear that the red crab have been going deeper, and so have the fish. Yeah, you know, we're seeing layers of them on our fish finder. Uh, we don't see quite as many in San Diego Bay, uh, but we do see a lot of them in uh, still in Mission Bay uh, before you even head out, a lot of times right at the launch ramp. But uh, we've been seeing them out in the water. So when we get out to our fishing grounds, a lot of times we'll just be fishing and, you know, a few crabs will pop up, net a bunch, and save them. And then uh, when it comes time to use them, we have them and they're ready to go. But it's 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 pretty fun. It's because uh, you know in California you have to use a dip net. You can't, or in my case, we a lot of times we use the big landing net. You can't just throw a cast net out there. And you know we could score if we could do that. But it's pretty fun when you get them come up close to the boat. And as soon as you get that net out, they know. And you could just these little critters are so fast and. It's 
so it's kind of fun. It's kind of a challenge to try to get as many as you can in the net before they all wise up and go down deep again. Wow. Okay. Well, Captain James, if we want to book a summer trip with you, either half day, full day, how's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, you could always reach me on the website at thefishicon.com, or even if you're checking out Rod and Reel Radio, uh, I know there's a link there as well as uh, past uh, call-ins and past shows. So that's pretty neat. And then uh, you can always reach me on uh, telephone, good old-fashioned telephone, 619-395-0799. You know, and also, uh, you're also uh, very generous with your information and showing the pictures of your customers, at least at least with their first fish. You know, and that's what's really neat. Uh, you take pictures of the first fish and you, you post it, and it isn't like you choose the biggest fish unless there's really something exceptional. And the variety of fish is always what gets me, Captain James, that you're able to to post on there. So congratulations. Keep up the good work, and we'll be uh, keeping in contact with you. Sounds great, and thanks again, and talk to you guys next week. All right. Captain James Elson, the fish icon. Well, Wendy, just briefly, uh, again, you, you had a trip uh, that you uh, just came back on on the Indy. Uh, tell us who sponsored the trip on that, and who do you need to thank for coming aboard on that uh, trip? Well, I have to thank Turner's Outdoorsman um, and Lori Byron. They did a great job. Um, every single one of our passengers got a goodie bag, and and we gave away three rods and reels. And it was it was just a great fun. And thank you to our sponsors. We couldn't do them without it without them. Well, you know, you also mentioned, you know, we had uh, uh, Lori Heath on the show. She was talking about women in fishing and how. More and more women are getting involved in, uh, uh, you know, sports fishing, not only on the three-quarter day boats now, but also on the day-and-a-half boats. And here you were on a multi-day trip, and you said you had seven or eight women aboard. That's excellent. Yeah, and um, actually two of them or three of them had never been on a long-range trip before. They, you know, fished a little bit with their husbands, but this was totally new to them. And and uh, they had a quick little lear- learning curve, but... By the end of the trip, they were doing awesome. Now, you did get in some tuna on that trip, didn't you? No. Oh, you didn't get any tuna on that at all? No, we fished islands. Okay, so it was uh, yellowtail, but uh, did you have people on that trip that maybe uh, got their first yellowtail? Yes, definitely. We had a lot of firsts, a lot of personal bests, and it was great because, you know, it, it, it took a while for some of these guys. We had a group of guys, there were like six or seven of them, and um, they had fished before, but they were they were really newbies. They had some that had no idea how to use the equipment. And by the end of the trip, they did great. They all caught fish. You know, it was it. You know, the, these trips that we go out on that are sponsored. You know, it's great for people to hop on because you have people who know what they're doing who can help besides the crew. Well, and that's one thing that you, again we always talk about. Now here you are on a multi-day trip. And you have a lot of people that still need some help. Uh, how does the crew react to that? Oh, they, they, you know what? They're great. They, they were so awesome. They're there to help you, um, anything you need, and they don't mind us helping either. The only problem is, is having two female charter masters, some of the guys aren't sure whether or not we know our stuff or not. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think uh, you ease those fears really quickly, especially when you're out there fishing at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're going out there and uh, uh, catching exotics. Yeah, I, I was all alone. It was lonely out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's part of the fun part of, of going on a multi-day trip. And especially with as mild as the summer evenings get, there there isn't like any hurry to have to get on out there first thing and catch fish because of the fact that we're only going to have, you know, three quarters of a day fishing or we're going to be limited fishing. On a multi-day trips like this, you're going to have plenty of time to, to fish. You can, you know, go out when you want. You can have breakfast, have a cup of coffee, uh, uh, talk with your friends and get out there and fish. It, it's really an ideal situation. That's exactly right, and that's what I tell people. It, and it's nice. You don't feel rushed, like you said. It, it's it's just really, really nice just to be out there. Although, you know, when, when the fish are biting and, you, and you're working that hard, you come home and you need a vacation. <laughs> All right. Wendy, congratulations on a trip again with Lori and the people at Turner's and Iserline for getting that together. It sounds like you had a, a great time. Do you have another one scheduled this season? I do. I have a five-day. Uh, Lori and I both, um, it's an Iserline Turner's trip, have a five-day on the searcher coming up at, in two weeks. And then we have our all-ladies trip which we only have two more spots left. Nice. But we have an all-ladies trip on the Searcher, sponsored by Iserline and Turner, and it's the end of August. All right. And if they uh, uh, want to learn more about that trip, uh, where do they go? They can go to searchersportfishing.com and go to the website, make a phone call, look at the phone, uh, the phone number, or um, they also have a Facebook page, Searcher Sport Fishing. All right. Well, Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for the first hour of Rod and Real Radio. Hey, coming up in the next hour, Mike Conroy is going to be with us from West Coast Fisheries. Stay tuned. We're going to talk a lot about bluefin tuna, closures, and environmental groups. So stay with us. We'll be back after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California. Boat California. Save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. 
H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, H&M or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, experienced anglers, first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Quantum Fishing's got something for everybody. From the smallest angler to the oldest veteran, we can get you out there fishing with the greatest reels on the market today. From the all-new for 2016 Icon PT to the Tour Mag to the brand-new redesigned Smoke Reel, we've got something for everyone in your family. Have some fun. Take a kid fishing. They're the future of our sport. Quantum, we are performance-tuned. You can get your Quantum products at anglersarsenal.com or anglersarsenal in the Mesa at 619-466-8355. Hi, this is BSS record holder Dean Rojas. El Cajon Ford helped me when I got started in my career, and let them help you with a new F-Series Ford truck. And remember, nobody beats El Cajon Ford. And welcome back, everyone, to Rod and Reel Radio. I'm your host, Hopalong John Cassidy. Wendy Tushihara is with us tonight. And, and Wendy, I have been looking forward to having this next guest on with us for a long time because there's so much information and, I think, disinformation running around out there that people don't that really don't have an idea what's happening with regards to the bluefin tuna that are uh, off our coast right now, the populations, and then so many other issues about closures and pending closures, uh, who's doing what. And I thought we I'd invite someone on that is a little bit more of an expert than I know I am and a lot of the other people that are out there. He's an attorney that specializes in uh, uh, fisheries. He is also the owner of West Coast Fisheries Consultant, Mr. Mike Conroy. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. I I know I, I didn't do justice with the introduction, but for a lot of the individuals that are out there that may not know you or be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about your, your background, how you developed uh, the specialty of uh, fisheries uh, uh, consultation, especially in legal issues, and then how you came up with uh, West Coast uh, Fishery Consultant. I'd be more than happy to. So when I was in high school, I lived down in the South Bay, and I ended up working on uh, the Tornado. I, I was good friends with uh, Curtis Wagner, who owned the Aztec, his brother Tom and I, would go out and do the pinhead thing and then eventually got into deck handing. So I, I did that during the summers at high school and then also during college and then eventually got my captain's license and went to took a break from fishing for three years to go to law school and then came back and then was doing the in-house thing for some high-tech companies that dealt with e-commerce and income tax preparation software. It was somewhat exciting, but also highly boring. So (laughs) 
on the weekends, I would go out and, uh, you know, be second relief on boats. And then we, uh, one of the companies I was working with got merged, uh, merged out and I found myself with some free time. So before figuring out what it is that I wanted to do, I went and I ran the Aztecs for a little bit of time. So up in Long Beach and then down in San Diego and did that for a few years off and on. And then, uh, you know, started to do uh, some consulting work in the tech field, legal work that way. But all the while, I kept hearing from my commercial fishing friends and my sport fishing friends that, you know, the government intrusions was becoming such a big factor that I, that I started to look into that. And then what I really wanted to do was get – I had a pretty – clear view on what was happening on the recreational side. It was the commercial side that I that I really didn't know anything about. So I left the sport fishing world and, and went to work in the commercial fishing world for a few years doing the uh, squid fishery and, and a couple other fisheries. And I, I got to see firsthand, you know, exactly what goes on versus, you know, what others tell you goes on. And then from that, I was able to start, you know, meeting the right people and getting involved with a lot of the work with the department and also at the federal level with National Marine Fisheries Service. And then it just seemed to be a natural thing for me to, to you know, when I stopped commercial fishing, to, to kind of form a company that had a, as its primary focus fisheries management and, and fisheries law. So that's how I got to where I am now, in a in, nutshell. In a nutshell. Well, uh, and <laughs> why don't you tell us about, before we get into some of the current issues, some of the past issues that you've kind of tackled and been involved with in, in your consultation work and, and representing people uh, uh, possibly even in a legal capacity that you can talk about. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, from a management standpoint, the, the, the sardines over the last two years have been a big thing. I mean, we, we, we knew that there was going to be no directed commercial fishery, but there were some groups that were trying to go after the, uh, the, the bait fishery as well. And, you know, obviously access to sardines is of paramount importance to the recreational fleet down here. So, you know, working with the state and once again with the feds, we were able to secure the, uh, and SAC to some degree, we were able to continue to have access to sardines for our bait fisheries. Um, the Spiny Lobster FMP, I worked a lot on that with the commercial guys. And just a whole, a whole slew of other things, a lot of things in the squid fishery. And then when the, uh, uh, when, when Bluefin raised its ugly head uh, about a year and a half ago is when it sort of first came, you know, is, is when it, the first restrictions came into place, and, and we helped with that as well. All right. Well, let's talk about a couple of the issues, though, that are really your concern of right now. And the, and the, the thing that first drew me to you was a uh, issue that you're working on hard on now is representing the commercial fishing industry when it comes to the possible closures of um, of uh, seamounts as fisheries. And wh what does that mean, seamounts? Uh, and uh, tell me a little bit about that issue. Yeah, that's that's a big one. <laughs> and that reared its ugly head. It, it, we've been hearing rumors about that, you know, hush-hush rumors that something was in the works, that there was going to be a National Marine Monument proposed under the Antiquities Act, and it was going to cover Tanner and Cortez. And when we first heard about that, it was, you know, at the end of last summer, and we could find nothing in writing about it. And, you know, 
other people that I that I work with on some of these other issues was we were talking to people back in Washington D.C. and as of about a month ago, it was it was there was no talk of it moving forward anywhere, and then all of a sudden, about three weeks ago or maybe it was four weeks ago now, I was forwarded a, a document that was a uh, a proposal a draft proposal to close or to protect California's offshore seamounts banks and ridges, and there was a map included in that, and, it, and it, it, it covered just about every offshore high spot off the coast of California that doesn't already have protections attached to it. So, for instance, Tanner and Cortez were included, San Juan Seamount, Davidson, and all the way up the coast to the Mendocino Ridge. So that was, you know, that that uh, that ruffled a lot of feathers, and the original draft had indicated that recreational fishing was going to be allowed, but there was a gray area with regards to whether or not our sport boats were going to be able to, were going to be exempted from, from any closure. And that's why SAC and a couple other of, uh, a couple other recreational sport fishing groups signed on to this coalition that we had put, that, that was put together and sent a letter Opposing the creation of this monument, that letter was sent out, I believe, last Thursday to President Obama. And then there's just been a lot of works going on behind the scene, talking to various state legislators and senators, you know, trying to get the word out because this was all it has all been done behind the scenes. It's you know the, have you, the Republican. Have you, mem- out, have you figured out who the uh, where the proposal came from? The anonymous proposal came from. Well, we have we we've kind of narrowed it down, and and it's being pushed by a a state senator from Washington, who's not located in D.C. but rather in Washington State, and as we understand it, he's been contracted by a couple of uh, by a coalition of environmental groups, and then one group in particular is kind of spearheading and leading the charge on this. Hmm. And you know, is uh, is dealing with the federal part of this uh, uh, program is that tougher than dealing with the state? Because uh, obviously, you might know a lot of people in the state, but all of a sudden, when it gets to the federal, it's like uh, it's trying to punch uh, you know a tar baby. Uh, you just uh, you just don't know what's going to be effective and what isn't. Right, and this is, you know, I mean, say what you want about the whole MLPA and the MPA process. I'm sure that we all have some very strong feelings on how that went down, but this is vastly different. I mean, this is, there's, the MLPA process was public. I mean, there were meetings all over the place, and, you know, even though the, the fate might have been sealed long before the meeting started, there was still a public process. Using the Antiquities Act to set aside these areas is solely done at the discretion of the president. So he doesn't have to go through Congress, doesn't have to, uh, you know, get anybody's approval. It's just sort of a, you know, at his whim, he, he can decide he wants to close all these areas. It would be, it would be the functional equivalent to Governor Brown walking out in his, his veranda one day and saying, all right, Catalina's closed and Santa Rosa's closed. And, Have a nice day. And the next day it is. Exactly. Exactly. All right. When when it comes to uh, commercial fishing off off of these seamounts, you know, uh, a lot of times uh, 
we talk about uh, you know dragging or gill netting, but it, it uh, commercial fishing is a lot more than than just that. Oh, w- w- without a doubt. I mean, and they're you know they're they're not being selective. At least in the proposal that we've seen, that they're not being selective with regard to gear type or the target species. It's it seems like it's just a broad brush stroke that's going after all commercial fisheries. And and like you said, you know there are there are fisheries that 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 do have more of an environmental impact than others. And you know what, one of my clients is the albacore fishery, and they're the ones who probably stand to be the most impacted. And they're the ones who catch them one at a time by trolling or, or bait pulling, and have you know there, there's no you know there's no impact to the environment from bycatch or, or you know destruction of habitat or anything like that. So they are they are critically concerned about this proposal, and and are you know we're we're, we're trying to work with everybody to make sure that you know if 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 they do go through with this at least allow the fisheries to continue to be managed under the Magnuson-Stevens Act, you know, through the Pacific Fishery Management Council, because, you know, fisheries off the U.S. that are managed under the Magnuson Act are used as the standard upon which all other fisheries management are judged. So, you know, we're we're doing a very good job at at fishing within sustainable levels and doing so in in manners that minimize bycatch, and minimize environmental impacts, and this just seems to be uh, an overreaction. This is this is really scary stuff because if a proposal or some type of a measure does not have to go through any public hearings and can be written up by a special interest group and sponsored by uh, you know some state individual who is just thinking it's a good idea and go directly to the desk of the president with all of the issues that are uh, concerning our federal officials and our president and everything like that from, you know, what's happening in the current news today to uh, treaties and wars and everything like that. This thing comes along and it goes, oh, this sounds like a good deal. Let's protect these seamounts. Let it be written. Let it be done. And the next thing you know, uh, we have another series of closed areas to both commercial and sports fishing. This is really scary. Am, am I uh, uh, overstating the argument? Personally, I don't, I don't think you are. You know, we're seeing, you know, when, when President Bush left office, he declared an area off of Hawaii as a, as a marine monument. And that area kind of sat for the last eight years, and now there's a proposal in, in front of President Obama that's going to expand that incredibly. And there's another proposal that we're aware of that's that's moving forward on the East Coast. So, you know, it's not just it's not just us that are in the crosshairs. I mean, you have Hawaii, and, and then you have the East Coast, and and yeah, I mean, it, it's while it may be couched in terms of you know targeting commercial fishing right now, it doesn't mean that at some point down the line they'll say, well, this has been so successful. Let's you know, let's let's limit recreational fishing as well. All right. Hey, Mike, we got to take a break right now. Uh, can you stay with us uh, for a little bit longer? Maybe we can talk a little bit about what's happening with bluefin tuna on our off our coast? By all means, yes. All right. Hey, we are speaking with Mike Conroy, his company, West Coast Fisheries Consultant, 
represents recreational and commercial fishermen with a lot of the issues that we're seeing today off of our coast, both on a state and national level. We're going to be back after these messages. Stay tuned. There's still a lot more to come. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California, boat California, save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specialty heat treater to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is un equaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fishing Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419, or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California, boat California, save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Hi, my name is Dennis Green, and I always love to talk about fishing. When I want the real information, I go to Rod and Real Radio. Those guys are who I thought they were. Hey, Wendy and I, we want to welcome you back to our Rod Real Radio. We have attorney Mike Conroy with us. His company, West Coast Fishery Consultants, represents both commercial and freshwater fishermen. When it comes to fishing issues off our California coast on both a national and uh, federal level and a state level, I should say. And Mike... I, I feel like a babe in the woods on this next subject, and we're going to try and tack down what's happening or what the real story is with bluefin tuna. You know, I can I love going out fishing for bluefin. I don't think there's a listener in our audience that doesn't like to. But at the same time, 
we're not out to go out and deplete a, a, a population of, of fish that could be near extinction. Obviously, I like fishing black sea bass. I like eating black sea bass. But we put a moratorium on catching black sea bass. We don't go after black sea bass anymore. Can you kind of give us a, a hint on what the real story is on our Pacific bluefin tuna, especially when we hear numbers like uh, there's only 4% or 3% of the population from its historic highs. Uh, wh what's happening out there? <laughs> oh, boy. This, this is where it gets fun. Um, it, the, the 4%, I'll just correct you on that 4% number. It's, it's a measure, it's 4% of a hypothetical level. It's 4% of the, what the models would say would be the Pacific bluefin's unfished biomass. So there's, you know, there's hypotheticals on top of hypotheticals based on variables. So it's, you know, I, I think under any metric, however you measure it, the, the Pacific bluefin stock is in trouble. I don't think it's, it's to the level where we have to worry about extinction. I think that, you know, those of us who, who have been out fishing the last couple of years can attest to the sheer numbers and even the, you know, the size of the fish that are around. That, that's the exciting thing. But the models that exist right now have a hard time accounting for that. So it's, it's, it's sort of a double-edged sword. But let's go back to 2014, if, if we can. We'll, we'll give a little, a little history lesson here on these things. In 2014, the Center for Biological Diversity filed a petition to ban the take of bluefin in the Eastern Pacific. And that was one of the three things that they requested. They also requested that a Pacific-wide minimum size for bluefin be adopted and also a reduction in Pacific bluefin tuna quotas uh, across the Pacific. And they made this request of the National Marine Fisheries Service and the National Marine Fisheries Service in June of this year denied that petition. They denied it because in the intervening time period, the one of the international organizations that has management responsibility for bluefin, the, the Inter-America Tropical Tuna Commission, which handles the fisheries in the eastern Pacific, they had they adopted some conservation measures for bluefin, which resulted in our uh, both commercial and recreational reductions in 2015 and 2016. So one of the reasons why the National Marine Fisheries denied that petition was because of these management measures. And these management measures, the two fish limit for recreational and the three the 600 ton quota for commercial over that two year period of time was designed in a way to reduce recreational take by 30% and commercial take by 40%. It is showing that the commercial take has been you know, reduced by a lot more than that because the trip limit that was imposed as a result of those measures of 25 tons basically made our commercial fleet, it's not economically viable for them to go out and target bluefin. And I think that on a from the recreational side, I think there was a reduction in 2015 over 2014, but I don't think it reached the 30% that I thought it was going to do. But that was, I think a lot of that is because there was so much fish here last year. And then fast forward to what's happening now, once the 
National Marine Fisheries denied the petition submitted by Center for Biological Diversity to ban the take. CBD, in turn, recently filed a petition to list the Pacific bluefin as endangered or, in the alternative, as a threatened species. And that's where we stand on that. The Inter-American Tropical Tuna Commission just had a meeting that ended July 1st where they were going to adopt or, or extend the current management measures for bluefin, i.e. the two-fish limit for recreational and the 300-ton-per-year commercial quota, but that failed to get out at, at the international level, and that meeting ended, but they're going to reconvene in October where they're going to have to do something. And, you know, the, the, the people that I know that are, that are betting are, are betting that the current management measures are just going to be extended. Well, is there something about the life cycle of the bluefin tuna that makes their propagation maybe not as easy as other pelagics that we see, or not as plentiful, I should say? Um, well, they're they're a, a high value species, and you know, I mean, we don't see what we're seeing in these last couple of years is is really kind of throwing a, a, a monkey wrench into the equation. You know, we haven't seen these 150, 200, and, and even up to, I think there was a fish caught last week that was 270 pounds, and we just don't see that here. This is, you know, whether it's it's a, an ecological thing, if it's an ocean condition thing, if, if you know, it just it shows that, we, that for how much we think we do know, there's a lot that we really don't know. And, you know, one of the really interesting things that came out of what we're doing, or what, what's being done, I should say, is that, you know, the Sport Fishing Association of California is, is partnering up with uh, scientists at the Southwest Fisheries Science Center, the the, the, the the federal thing, and they're they're finding that there's evidence of some gonad development in fish that are coming off of our coast, which is unheard of. They you know it's always been assumed that bluefin spawn in the Western Pacific you know, off Japan and Korea. And now we're seeing that there's some, you know, I think there's a total of 12 fish that had immature egg or sperm development, but there was one male that it was actually sexually mature and, and, and could spawn if he could find a, uh, a willing and fertile female bluefin around. So, you know, it, it could be that what we've thought about this, this species is going to be turned on its head here in the not-too-distant future. Well, also, isn't one of the things that... Uh, uh you know, that I didn't know and that I've heard is it something about the size of the fish before they are able to successfully procreate. Right. And, you know, what we've always thought is that it, what we've always thought is that a bluefin becomes sexually mature at around five or six years old. I believe, don't quote me on that. I'm, I'm going off memory here. But, you know, and those are usually fish that are, are two, you know, north of 250 pounds. So, you know, usually the ones that we see here aren't that size. They're, they're thought to be, you know, one- to three-year-old fish where they hang out here and, and you know, feed on the, 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 the you know, the, the, the plentiful food that exists off our coast. And then when they reach a certain size or a certain, certain age, they, they migrate back across the Pacific. And that's where they take care of all their spawning activities. You know, uh, do we have any idea where the current 
biomass of fish that we see off our Southern California coast came from. Uh, there was an article that was in one of the newspapers that had a lot of inaccurate statements and and everything, but they were saying that there was kind of like a a blurb of warm water that came up and these fish were down in the south and now they're coming up north. Uh, uh, is there any credible information on just what the cycle of these fish are in the Pacific Ocean? Well, there, it's what's been thought to date is that they are the spawning activity occurs in the Western Pacific around Japan, and that's where the fish are hatched. And it's thought that in their first year of life that they spend their entirety there, you know, somewhere between Japan, Korea, the Philippines, and in that area. And then once they get to be close to one year of age, then they start their migration across our side of the Pacific. And it's always been thought that they stay here anywhere from between one in two or three years, at which point they get the, the urge to, to go back home, go back across to where they were born, and then they go back across to the Western Pacific where they spawn and, and, and do that, you know, do that all over again. And, you know, we've seen, we've seen in the past, and I think it was 1988, where there was that one period of time for five or six days where there were some five to eight hundred pound fish out off the backside of San Nicolas. But, you know, that's, was obviously an aberration, and you know we don't know if what we're seeing here the last couple of years is the new normal, or is this just a, another aberration? And if this is the new normal, I, I think it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna throw the stock assessment model way off. It's gonna, you know, we're we're gonna be able to look at it and say, well, maybe all these assumptions that lead into calculating what the biomass is is based on on uh, on. on false assumptions. So back to the drawing board. You know, Stan Kennison had an old punchline to a joke that said, go where the food is. And could this be another factor with regards to why these fish were, they may have been uh, way west of us and we would uh, never go out and uh, necessarily see them as, as sports boats that with this biomass of red crab and uh, fin bait that we are now seeing relatively close to inshore that it is enticing these fish in inshore here? That's a distinct possibility. I mean, it's, you know, I, I agree with you 100% that the, 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 the sport fishing community doesn't typically go outside of, of a couple hundred, 300 miles. But, you know, a lot of times the albacore fleet, and there's a long line fleet that fishes halfway between Hawaii and California. And, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple of guys who, who fish in both of those fisheries, and this, what we're seeing here is, is new to them as well. I mean, they're, they're scratching their head as, as, as much as anybody. Yeah. You know, in the, uh, uh, the old days of commercial fishing when, uh, you know, the guys were fishing from the racks with, uh, you know, rods and, and lures, uh, the, the skippers would see, uh, you know, boiling fish and they'd recognize them as being bluefin. They say, guys, we're going to keep on going. Those are bluefin. We can't catch them. And I guess it wasn't until the the day of the saner came along that we could sane these fish, and then they became uh, more commercially uh, uh, viable. When it comes to commercial fishing, especially for the American fleet, how far do they have to go in order to find uh, a reasonable number of fish that, that makes a trip uh, worthwhile? That's a great question, and it's, 
you know, given the fact that we now have a 25-ton trip limit on commercial, the, the commercial fleet, they, you know, it, it doesn't, now it's no longer how far do they have to go. It's how close to shore can they find them. And it's, you know, the, the, the fish that are caught off our coast have been, they've been demonized in the marketplace. You know, these, the environmental groups have done such a good job of, you know, convincing the average consumer that you shouldn't eat bluefin because if you eat a bluefin, you're, you're contributing to its extinction. So there's no demand for our product. That's why last year there was 96, you know, the commercial fleet had 96 tons of bluefin. And we all know that there was, there was much more than that in, in our waters. And this year, I believe, as of a couple of days ago, they had taken less than a ton. There's just there's no incentive for our commercial guys to go out and fish it. It's 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 a shame. So, uh, if I can draw a conclusion, if we go out, and we catch a bluefin tuna that might be uh, you know anywhere from fifty to sixty, seventy pounds. It is probably a, a fish that's too immature to. Uh, breed, but with some of these fish that we've had coming across that are in the, you know, 150 to 250 pound range, those are all fish that actually could be breeding and are that are mature enough and might even be breeding off of our coast. Is is that a pretty fair assumption? Well, that's that that's the holy grail for bluefin right now. You know, we're. It, it, it was. It's all like like I said earlier. It's always been assumed that the only spawning activity takes part in the Western Pacific. But with what SAC is doing with the Southwest Fisheries Science Center, and they're actually showing that there are individual fish that are being caught off our shores that are showing gonad development. Granted, for the most part, they're immature, but. You know, now the question is, well, how long does it take a bluefin to mature from an immature standpoint? And could it be such that it supports an inference that there is spawning activity taking place off our shores? And if that's the case, then, you know, how uh, the computer program that they use to estimate the biomass of the bluefin is going to have to be looked at and reworked significantly. You know, back in uh, 2014, 2015, we were talking about Seamounts, Cortez, and Tanner Banks. Uh, there was a significant bluefin tuna bite that was uh, found in, uh, you know, late uh, November of 2014 and went all the way into March and almost April of 2015. And you know, it was almost unheard of. We had never found fish there before, especially that time of the year. Is there a possibility that maybe these fish are just not going to go away, or will they be uh, uh, passing by us like albacore and yellowfin tuna and, and making the circle of the Pacific, or is is anything other conjecture because we really don't have enough information about uh, their life cycle? Right, no, and that's and that's a great question as well. You know, it, it's it's always been assumed that it, that they go on a track that it, they go from the western you know western Pacific to our coast and then back across again. But with like you just pointed out, that fish that was on Cortez and I think there was a little bit on Tanner then during the winter of 2015, that's causing a lot of people to to, to rethink it. And I even think, you know, back in the old days, we used to hear about small resident fish that were 
just above and outside Guadalupe Island too. You know, some of these, some of these, you know, really small fish that that were almost as if they had been born on this side. But you know, we don't see. We, we don't see much of that small or any of that small fish caught here that would be indicative of spawning activity taking place. You know, hey. if, if we start to see a bunch of small bluefin being caught by our sport boats or recreational fleet or even the commercial guys, you know, catch that, then it, it's it's going to be strong evidence of spawning activity taking place off California. Wow, that's interesting. Hey, we are speaking with Mike Conroy. He is an attorney that uh, his uh, organization, the West Coast Fisheries Consultant, represents both recreational and commercial uh, fishermen on both the state and national level. And, and Mike, I have a few more questions on a couple more issues for you. Can you stay with us for one more segment? Sure, why not? All right. Hey, uh, Stan is uh, off tonight. Wendy and I are here. We're speaking with uh, Mike Conroy from West Coast Fishery Consultants. There's more to come on Rod and Reel Radio, but we got to take a break right now. We'll be back after these messages. Captain Chris Randall from Chief Sports Fishing. And Captain Chris, tell us about what's happening on the Chief now that the tuna season is upon us. It's here, and it's time to go on the Chief. For those that are not familiar with the vessel, she's an 85 by 24 deluxe sport fisher that offers a wide variety of open party trips, ranging from one to five days in length. We're also available for private group charters. The Chief's onboard anemones include a fully remodeled galley with comfortable seating for 25, twin flat screen TVs with hundreds of movies, two roomy indoor heads with fresh hot water showers, stateroom and open berthing areas, an impressively large deck area, 200 scoop bait capacity. We have twin six-ton spray brine fish holds to keep your catch fresh, and our professional courteous crew will go the extra mile to make your trip a memorable one. To view our schedule, log on to H&M Landing at www.hmlanding.com or feel free to give them a call at 619-222-1144. You can also follow us on Facebook and at our webpage at chiefsportfishing.com. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey, bass fishermen, who do you call for your bass boat insurance? Well, if you're not calling me at 1-800-BASS-BOAT for your boat insurance, you're probably paying too much and may not have the coverage that you need. In 1974, I developed the bass boat program that is what all the pros use today. The reason? No depreciation or any partial claim for your hull, your big motor, your trolling motor, or your electronics until your boat's 10 years old. That's right. You only pay $250 to get your boat on the water for any partial claim, and we still pay a stated value replacement cost for your boat if you have a total loss. We're the only people in the industry that does that, and that's why we are the choice of the pros. So if you want the best, forget the rest. Just call 1-800-BASSBOAT. Call 1-800-227-7262, or just spell BASSBOAT. 1-800-BASSBOAT. I know there's too many letters, but the T is free and the call's on me. That's 1-800-BASSBOAT, the choice of the pros for BASSBOAT insurance. For more information, log on to 1-800-BASSBOAT.com. 
If the fish are biting, I'm on my boat, rain or shine. Of course, I wear my life jacket. It's like wearing a seatbelt. Clip it on, grab my tackle box, and hit the water. Love California. Boat California. Save California. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. And welcome back to Ron Real Radio. Wendy and I, we've been talking with attorney Mike Conroy. Uh, Mike uh, has been representing the interest of both uh, uh, recreational and commercial fishermen through uh, his company, West Coast Fisheries Consultants. And, uh, Mike, uh, just, a, just, a, whoop, just a quick question over here. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago, 1980, I think I did an article for the San Diego Fisherman Magazine, and we were talking about the importance of the commercial fishing industry here in um, San Diego with uh, Starkist and Chicken of the Sea and everything like that. And because of um, just a lot of the limitations and everything like that that was put on commercial fishing, that disappeared. Now, but we found that commercial fishing was still viable all over the world. Do a lot of these uh, proposals that we're talking about with regards to bluefin tuna and everything like that, that uh, our federal government or our state government, they, they only concern American fishermen. They have absolutely no concern when it comes to uh, uh, fishing vessels from that fly foreign flags. Yeah, that's that. That's a great point, and I and I really appreciate you asking that and, and bringing that up. It's you know it's it's one of the things that definitely is having a negative impact in on you know Cal, most of California's commercial fisheries. But with regards to bluefin, there are two international what they call regional fishery management organizations RFMOs, and there are two that are deal with the, that fishery. There's the Inter-America Tropical Tuna Commission in the Eastern Pacific and the Western and Central Pacific Fisheries Commission that handles the Western Pacific. And at the last Pacific Fishery Management Council meeting, one of the very strong statements that came out of that with regards to bluefin was that we really need to, as a nation and, and, and as you know, the, the commercial fisheries operating in the Eastern Pacific, really need to put some pressure on the nations in the Western Pacific to, you know, kind of mind, play the game as well, because, you know, the, the Chinas, the Japans, the, the Koreas, they, they, they game the system. They, they, they don't play by the same rules that we do. And we really need to get the State Department, everybody really needs to get better at, at you know, enforcing our will upon them in order to make sure that this stock doesn't go by the wayside. Well, we even look upon uh, look at that with something as simple as uh, bait. Uh, I don't know for, I don't know how long we've been using frozen wild-caught squid as bait, and it's been, you know, available, and it's been inexpensive for the recreational fishermen. Now there has been none on the market for, oh, since about the middle of spring, and a uh, part of the reason is because the guys that are going out and catching squid, they can get a lot more money selling it uh, to foreign sources than they can selling it for bait. And uh, I think that's what's happening uh, maybe to a lot of our other species of, of fish that we use for consumption here. Yeah, I mean, we unfortunately, we, we import 90% of the seafood that we consume in this nation, and that's, 
You know, that's one of the arguments that we've brought up with this seamount idea is that if you're really going to close off these vast areas to, you know, California commercial fisheries, you know, our, our nation's food security is, is an issue that we have to consider because it'll go from 90 to, you know, 92 or 93. And it's, it, it definitely doesn't help. Uh, it doesn't help us. You know, and, and, you know, the sad part is, is that these boats are businesses to these individuals, whether they be families or corporations. And once they lose those boats or they lose the ability to go after fish where, you know, their business is not viable anymore, they just can't start that business up if if something is closed and opens again. It's just like it's not there anymore. Once the buffalo are gone, they don't come back. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, that's that's a great point, and we're seeing more. You know, we're seeing a lot of consolidation, a lot of boats exiting the, the various fisheries. I mean, if you look at the number of commercial licenses issued by the state now and compared it to ten years ago, it, it, it's going to be a fraction of that, and that's 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 telling. And with regards to squid, I think you'll probably start seeing more squid in the near future because. You know, we went for basically a year without having any during the El Nino year, and, and now they're starting to get, you know, now some starting to come across the production line. So I think it won't be too far off before you start seeing uh, fresh frozen squid again in your, uh, in your, in your, from your bait providers. I hope so. Hey, just one more issue uh, I want to talk about because we've got a limited amount of time. You know, we get, uh, and Wendy uh, knows about this more than anybody else because she was, you know, one of the stakeholders for the MPAA closures, and she sat through all of that. She listened to the testimony of the environmental groups and readily recognized that there was bogus science. There was a lot of information, misinformation, that the environmental groups, uh, you know, brought up uh, to uh, cause uh, some of the closures that we're seeing right now. Uh, You know, we, we feel that a lot of the environmental groups, they will purposely state misinformation so that they can keep their donor base uh, contributing to their cause, you know, and we go, you know, isn't there some type of recourse right now? And now we're finding that there is a situation where we might have the first hint of there being some recourse. And can you just briefly go over uh, what that situation is, Mike? Yeah, that's this is something that a lot of us that are, you know, uh, working across the aisle from the environmental community, we're, we're we're really paying attention. There was a lawsuit recently filed in Georgia, where a forestry company, I believe it was, it's called Resolute Forestry. Don't quote me on that, but that that seems to be what comes to mind. They're actually suing Greenpeace for uh, under a, a racketeering cause of action based upon, uh, you know, misstatements, fraudulent misstatements in such a way that it basically destroyed the reputation of that company, and now they're turning around and suing Greenpeace for damages incurred as a result of their uh, of their misinformation. Wow. That's great. Yeah, uh, we've seen a lot of that, and it's, uh, you know, there, there's got to be some type of fine point between purposely misleading and free speech because uh, we find so many situations where, you know, the environmental point is so overly stated, and part of that is is that unless those people are successful in their cause, they don't get funded anymore. So it's uh, it's an important uh, issue for sure. 
Oh, it's a, yeah, like I said, you know, un- unfortunately, it, you know, the, the lawsuit was just filed, so I would imagine as it w- makes its way through court, depending upon who comes out on the winning end or not, there's going to be appeals, and we probably won't, won't know exactly what's going to come out of it for, you know, five or so years, but boy, if, if this forestry company is able to, to get a positive ruling on this, that this could be a real big game changer in how management of natural resources is, is done. Mike Conroy, I appreciate you being with us. If, uh, if uh, people would like to find out more about what you're doing, uh, West Coast Fisheries Consultant, what it's all about, what some of the, the current issues are, how's the best way to uh, stay abreast with what you're doing? Well, the best way to do it is to either check through my website, which is wecofm.com, or I, you know, I, I post everything through to, to social media as well, both on Twitter and on my Facebook page. Those are, you know, West Coast Fisheries Consultant. I have a, a business Facebook page there that I, I, I try to keep up to date and keep uh, people appraised, apprised of what's going on. Because in this game, knowledge is power. And unfortunately, you know, most most commercial guys and, and most recreational fishermen, for that matter, don't understand how important it is to stay informed. And then even if they do kind of have that understanding, the, the ability to do so is so difficult because there's so many places to look and, and keep current with. So I, I, I try to be a, a, a one-stop shop for keeping uh, informed on all sorts of things that, that may impact them. And now it seems to be there's more of a frightening uh, trend that – uh, these groups are trying to keep the public out of the loop so that they can go to the agency, go to the people that they know, get their agendas done, get them passed, and by the time the public uh, finds out about it, like we did for the MLPAs, the horse was already out of the barn. Yep. yep. All right. That's, that's it. You know, I mean, and, and but but for somebody sending that draft proposal. You know, it's highly likely that this convert that all these conversations about these proposed monuments off our shore would still be taking place with without any industry knowledge. Okay, Mike Conroy, so, thanks for being with us tonight and giving us some information. Wendy, quickly. Yeah, I was going to say so um, for people that are listening to our show, what can they do to help? That's a great question, and it's highly appreciated. There's going to be an online portal available probably within the next 48 hours where concerned fishermen can go and, and sign on to a list that says, from what I understand, it's, it's just going to say, you know, re- retain management of fisheries under the Magnuson-Stevens Act. All right. Hey, Mike, we're completely out of time. Again, thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. All right. Well, Wendy, thank you, and congratulations on a great trip. Uh, thank you, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Hey, on behalf of uh, Jorge, Stan, Wendy, Ben Harvey, and always in memory of Big Tuna Bill and Eddie McHugh, we want to thank you for listening uh, to us tonight. Go out and support our sponsors, but better yet, get out and get there. Uh, get them on the water. They're getting away. Good night, everyone. We'll see you on the water. We're out for now. How are you? But there's a sign upon your door. Uh-huh. Gone fishing. I'm real gone, man. <laughs> you ain't working anymore.